Hello and welcome to Stream Police, the podcast where we tell you what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly on Netflix. I'm John Otney. Joining me is Michael Seveny. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing all right. Uh, now, we did have another idea originally planned for this episode, but due to unfortunate circumstances, we decided to shift focus and talk about another subject. Of course, I'm referring to the untimely passing of comic legend Robin Williams, who, as we've all heard by now, passed away on August 11th. Because of that, we will be reviewing one of Williams' most memorable performances in the classic 1991 Terry Gilliam film, The Fisher King, which is on Netflix. But before we get into that, I thought we could uh, take some time to reflect on his career and uh, what he meant as a comedian and dramatic actor uh, during this time. Uh, now, uh, Michael, I know we're both fans. I think we're both fans. So uh, let's start with you. Uh, what did you admire about, about Robin Williams as a performer? Well, you know, I think as a kid... Um being exposed to him probably for the first time through Aladdin and uh, you know Mrs. Doubtfire and these movies that were family films, you know, kids movies. Uh, I think it was just his intense and extremely uh, uh, energetic uh, comedy style. He's just like a, a thousand miles a minute, and he. he you know takes eight <laughs> different little threads that are you know each funny in their own way but he just jumps from one to the other and it's it just makes your jaw drop and even as a kid when half the things he's saying are either flying above my head or just too fast to even comprehend <laughs> uh, you know i i was just enthralled by it because here's this you know giant hairy dude uh, adult who uh was just like a little kid on the playground having fun um you know he was unlike any other adult i'd ever seen and uh so i guess that was uh what what i first really admired about him but um he he really did have a a, a versatile career and he, and he really did um show himself to uh be uh, to, to have a greater depth and, and uh a greater range than uh, you know I, I could have imagined just watching him in you know Jumanji uh, as a kid. You know it's funny you mentioned Aladdin a while back, and I think that's probably most people about our age. You know that's our introduction to Robin Williams, and I think that was the first time I saw an animated movie where I was aware of one of the voice actors in it. You know it's almost like Robin Williams was a trendsetter and that he like. I, I I identified him with an animated movie. Yeah, no, I I think that's a good point. Totally. Like it's almost like he was my introduction to like celebrities in a way because I probably didn't know a lot of actors back then when I saw Aladdin, but I for some reason I knew. Oh well, that's Robin Williams. It's he put himself so much into that character. I mean, you hear about things where it's like he's recording himself for like sixteen hours, you know, in like doing the Aladdin the genie character just developing his character and creating his character. Like it's just animated Robin Williams is all it is. Like, <laughs> I wonder if they even had like a, like a script, like dialogue for the genie or if it was just, you know, riffing. Yeah. You know, apparently um, when they were making Mork and Mindy uh, sometime in the middle of the series, uh, they would, they would just put at, at certain points, like in brackets robin does his thing here like it wouldn't be dialogue from work it'll just be like uh here's where robin riffs <laughs> and then now, he that must have been an easy me. job right for work <laughs> it's like just all mindy's script. Lines oh he'll just he'll take care of the rest <laughs> he's got it <laughs> you know i definitely appreciated robin williams ability to uh 
switch between characters so fast, which is probably one of the things he's best known for. But, you know, there's definitely times where I, I feel like that kind of got annoying to me. Like his characters are very broad, but I've even so I've always admired the fact that he's so fast. I can't think of any, any other person that was that like fast or like that yeah. good on their feet. Of course, you know, and in fact, like thinking about uh, him in Aladdin and him and Mrs. Doubtfire, where he 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 does these uh, insanely quick deliveries that he he's going. There's like eight different trains of thought, but he's somehow not fumbling. He's it kind of makes sense in his own like twisted uh, way of putting all these thoughts together. I think that was actually like really influential to what like a young me thought was funny. So like on the elementary school playground, I would go off out at a recess and I would like what I thought was me being really funny was me like talking really fast and talking like a game show announcer and saying all these things. And like, I would just think like, yeah, I'm as funny as Robin Williams because I'm, (laughs) but, but obviously what he's, he was doing was, you know, his mind was just that agile. It wasn't, you know, he, he could, uh, improvise uh so fantastically and uh and have it actually uh amount to something that's coherent and funny yeah you know no one can really replicate it i uh, for some reason found myself you know maybe a week ago watching scenes from aladdin 2 which he was not in where dan castaneta played the genie he was trying to do the shtick and he was doing an okay job but for some reason it just wasn't the same it just felt like he just couldn't match the energy and he's an energetic guy like <laughs> yeah no for sure he, he's like this tasmanian devil of just like uh I, I was watching uh uh some stand-up that he did that from like 2004 or something and you know uh, up there in in, in age and, and he's just i i don't think i there is a stand-up that can go up on stage and have that energy and still have like actual material and not just you know okay so we've been talking a lot about robin williams uh, ability as a comedic actor but um i know this one word used earlier is versatility and i mean of course he's a great comedic actor but what i've always admired is that he can drop that down so subtle you know to the most sensitive almost sorrowful tragic character and it's not even like he has two settings he has all these settings in between too like he has so many different levels to what he can do as an actor and i think yeah. that's something i almost admire more than his you know here i'm doing elmer fudd now i'm doing gay guy in la now i'm doing mad, mad black guy you know i almost appreciate more what he could do when he was restrained because there's something about a lot of his performances that are kind of sad well you know i mean uh, just going off what's there, what's actually in the movies, uh, you know, judging the performances uh, on their own, you know, I, I think that he'd, he, no matter how he went about doing it, he was able to convey, uh, you know, darkness and, you know, uh, characters battling uh, inner demons. Uh, I think he was able to to render those characters as... Uh, in in very uh, human and very warm and very you know uh, involving and uh, emotional ways without really without ever being just melodramatic or hammy. I, I think he was actually uh, in a, 
in some ways kind of underrated as a dramatic actor because i think at, at some point uh you know even when he got those oscar nominations and an oscar win for his more dramatic performances it kind of became a joke like oh every once in a while robin williams will just you know he'll do his dramatic role he'll have a beard and he'll, but like i don't think he ever like he ever got really one note or or uh just wrote with it i, I think he he was always um I always thought there was something there, and uh, and yeah. Uh, do do you have any uh, roles in particular, uh, you know, in that uh, category for him that you? I think one of my favorite all-time Robin Williams performances is probably One Hour Photo, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, just because I mean, and uh, he's technically, I mean, he, he's the character we follow, but he's technically the bad guy. No, you know, I don't know if that's a spoiler or not. He's this kind of off-putting character but he's also very sympathetic and you're almost always on his side and it's very low-key it's not jokey it's uh it's very impressive i yeah i think kind of underrated uh soft-spoken i mean is there a particular performance that you had in mind that resonates with you in some kind of way yeah um i think uh one of his best performances is actually uh, a guest appearance on a uh, homicide life on the street mm. which is uh yeah w- one of my all-time favorite shows and um I, I his episode is just like masterful all the way around and what he brings to it is is something really special because uh um his character is a, a man who uh loses his wife uh, his his wife is killed while he's on vacation uh, with his family in Baltimore, and the episode is, is it kind of follows him in the aftermath of that, and as they try to, the homicide detectives try to uh, find his killer and bring his killer to trial or her killer and bring the killer to trial, and it's just such a raw and uh, just vulnerable performance. He it's it just feels so nakedly emotional. Like he he kind of lets himself. Yeah, it it just seems like there's such a uh, I don't know. It it doesn't feel calculated. Basically, it, it does. It doesn't feel like a, an actor slumming it up on a, an NBC drama. Like you know, it, it's he he really is uh, is just this kind of raw nerve throughout the episode. And um, you know, I think anybody who uh, has to deal with the you know the direct aftermath of you know losing somebody can and kind of all the terror of that uh can kind of that performance probably is just it just resonates and uh and david simon um who uh is one of the creators of homicide and the wire and uh he when robin williams passed away he wrote a, a very interesting thing about um the filming of that episode and and seeing robin williams and uh kind of and robin williams being very uh you know in character even when they weren't uh shooting and then at one point it just seemed like robin williams was going to explode and he finally just launched into this really long elaborate comedy routine that had the entire cast and crew just doubled over laughing and it was just five minutes of just intense comedy and uh and then uh he wrapped up and they filmed the episode and and david simon says that you know even through all that he he found that there was some sort of sadness at the core of robin williams that but you know that even so he uh still (laughs) 
you know was able to do things like that and i don't know it, it's it, that's a piece worth reading and uh, it's an episode worth uh watching wow yeah i'm not familiar with that um but i mean he's a powerful guy and he's always always sympathetic like it's crazy i can't think of a single robin williams movie where i'm not on his side <laughs> you know it's, it's funny a while back uh me and some friends were watching mrs doubtfire which right. i hadn't seen in a while and if you, like, sit down and watch that movie as a logical adult, you realize, like, this is the most insane character <laughs> making the most irrational decisions. Like, right, he's, right, he's given right. a very fair, like, court order. Like, we're going to give you 90 days to get a suitable home and to get a job. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that makes sense. But still, you follow him <laughs> along just because he's so charming. You're like, well, you know, he loves his kids. I'm going with yeah. it. Like, I feel like yeah. if any other actor had taken that on, I would be like, this guy's God. nuts. Like, I, it would have been way harder for me to, like, f- go along yeah. with him on this journey. But because yeah, Rob yeah, Williams yeah. is so funny and charming, I'm, I'm behind him 100%. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, could you could you imagine anybody else... Uh, not, not like even in jumanji or something like that you know making it when uh that guy who's been in the jungle all these years going around with these two kids the, <laughs> yeah, i don't know it, there, there's a lot of performances that would wouldn't work if it were anybody else uh playing the part but robin williams there's you know so many characters that would just fall apart if anybody else were playing them i mean even people i like like i like to imagine who else could have played Mrs. Doubtfire, like who would have been Bill or who would have been uh, Robin Williams, you know, contemporary? I'm Whoa. thinking, what if what if Bill Murray had been Mrs. Yeah, Doubtfire or something? That, like, I love Bill Murray, but I don't know if that would have worked. Wouldn't work, and and or Jim Carrey, you oh, know, he'd be too I, that, creepy. Yeah, yeah, would not work. It had it, Rob Williams has it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, hard to replicate. A man of many talents, and the movie we are talking about on this episode uh, includes a lot of the different sides of Robin Williams, and we'll be talking about that in just a minute uh, with our review of The Fisher King. Mandacity! Why are two attractive city squires like you abusing a night like this? You a faggot, too? Faggot? No, but I do believe in fairies. Oh, now without dinner. <laughs> you fucking nuts! Viola! Let's show him what he's won! I have to advise you to let us go. Oh, you advise us, huh? Yes. <laughs> You're outnumbered, son. <laughs> Look at me! <laughs> Looks like Night of the Living Dead! Come on! Go for it! They can't do nothing! Can't do nothing! Can't do nothing! Nothing! Gentlemen! <laughs> I like the Fisher King is a story of a shock jock named Jack Lucas, played by Jeff Bridges, who's a pompous talk radio celebrity with an impressive ability to influence those around him. Though this talent takes a turn when Jack's careless words influence a unstable caller and this leads to a grisly shooting in a new york nightclub several years pass and jack has fallen from the top now working in a video store with his girlfriend Anne, played by mercedes rule unfulfilled and ridden with guilt jack decides to end his own life via drowning though as he's attempting this he is intercepted by a pair of violent thugs the thugs assault jack until he is rescued by a homeless crusader named perry played by robin williams Uh, With a few loose screws, uh, Perry believes himself to be a knight in search of the Holy Grail and always being pursued by an entity known as the Red Knight. 
These two characters are tied together when Jack discovers Perry, once a normal and happy professor of medieval history, was present at the nightclub shooting several years before. Not only that, but he watched his own wife die right in front of him. Uh, as the story unfolds, we watch Jack search for redemption in possibly one of the most offbeat buddy pictures of all time. The Fisher King is certainly an important film for both Robin Williams and the film's director, Terry Gilliam. So, Michael, uh, where do you think this ranks when compared to the rest of Robin Williams' career? And in that same vein, uh, where do you think it ranks in the rest of, like, Gilliam's filmography? Let, let's start with Robin Williams. Like, how, how do you think it compares? Um, well, I mean, maybe at that point in 1991... Um it might have been uh, seen as more of an outlier or seen as more of a departure just because of, uh, at that point, he, he had done dramatic roles at that time already. But I think that the this particular kind of performance where it's, uh, you know, still very manic energy, but in kind of a, a darker context or kind of tilted so that you can sort of see uh, that manic energy in a different light. I think it, it, it's, it was such a it was very different from what he had done before in a lot of ways, I think. And, uh, and really, uh, different from a lot of what he did, uh, after that. Um, I think in terms of, uh, his performance and the quality of the movie, um, I think it's pretty high up there. I I would, I would say it's one of his, uh, best performances. And, uh, I think the movie is for the most part, uh, uh, holds up. And what about in this in the scope of Gilliam's filmography? Like, how do you think this compares to some of his other work? On uh, Gilliam's filmography, it sucks. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, for him, again, it is kind of. I think he uh, actually referred to it as his sellout, or something. <laughs> like he jokingly called it like his kind of yeah. uh, sellout movie. But like, as, as far as sellout movies goes, this is like insanely ambitious <laughs> and uh, and imaginative and. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't call it his uh, masterpiece, and I don't think it's, um, you know, maybe when you think of Terry Gilliam, there are a couple of movies that come to mind that kind of have his stamp on them uh, a bit more. But I think it, it, it's a good movie, and I think that it's very much in the uh, Gilliam uh, wheel, wheelhouse. And Yeah, you know, it's funny. When I think of this film in terms of other Gilliam films, it's actually one of my favorites, and I think that's for a couple of reasons. One even though he calls it his sellout movie, I've seen him say that too. It seems kind of uh, restrained uh, in terms of special effects. You know, when you compare it to something like, you know, like Brazil or Baron Munchausen. I mean, you got their flourishes of fantasy, but for the most part, it's really just a kind of a character-driven story with you know a couple little kind of dreamy effect sequences uh, thrown in there. And I, I think that's one of the things I love about it is it's just such a human story. And then it's. I mean, it's definitely dark. Like, all game movies are, are, are inherently dark in some way. But I think from once you finish the movie, it kind of... Not, I'm not going to spoil anything, but it kind of ends on more of an upbeat note, which is something you don't really get with a lot of Gilliam films. You know, they usually end with something kind of nightmarish or, or just tragic or just kind of morose or offbeat. So it was it was kind of nice to see him tackle a, a more upbeat ending. And I do think the ending of this movie maybe wraps things up a little too tightly but sometimes y- you like to get that you know when when you watch a movie that's full of so many like awkward and tragic occurrences to get it wrapped up in a nice way it, you know in a feel-good kind of way is is kind of comforting 
Yeah, I mean, this was the first time I'd watched this all the way through, and I think one thing I was amazed at was the just dramatic shifts in tone. Like, sometimes this movie seems so jokey, uh, I mean, with this character, you know, this over-the-top character, and then just, it goes to dark, like, so, like, fast sometimes with, you know, people almost killing themselves, or there's that scene... Uh, where they show Robin Williams and his wife when they're in the nightclub at the time of the tragedy. And that's just like, I mean, they show you the violence. Like, like Gilliam will show you the grit, but somehow even in like all that grit, like find some beauty in there. And I think that's one of the biggest strengths of the Fisher King. All right. Uh, in a movie that um, is on some level about... Uh, living with depression and about the reality of a character who has depression and and has to deal with the just the daily pain of life uh when you're uh suffering uh from that disease um i, I think it, it's a testament to both the uh you know a, a amazing uh visionary direction of terry gilliam you know even in his supposed uh, sellout movie, uh, that he's able to render a depression um, visually on screen in a way that mm-hmm. doesn't seem like a cheat, but at, at the same time is, you know, uh, kind of a, a compelling distillation of, of what exactly depression, of how powerful forced depression is. It's also a testament to uh, Robin Williams and uh, and Jeff Bridges, certainly, but uh, especially Robin Williams, uh to that he's able to um i don't don't know show show how depression is it's a physical thing it's a it's a emotional mental thing it's something that uh you know just destroys a person and robin williams in this movie uh he just absolutely fearlessly embodies that and uh you know it's a it's really a strong performance um and and just a, a great rendering of you know that condition and, and um yeah it just it's a, you know watching it now uh knowing what we know it obviously takes on kind of a, a another dimension but uh but just standing alone as a, it, it really is uh, fantastic <laughs> it's funny it seems almost even more poignant now knowing what kind of person robin williams was or just looking at his filmography as a whole like this this covers so many uh, sides of the spectrum. It covers him as a comedian, as a dramatic actor, as a sorrowful, tragic figure. It embodies so much. I mean, for me, I don't know about you, but this this is up there. This may be my favorite Robin Williams performance. One of my favorites. It's really high up there. Like, it's really impressive. I don't know. Is, is it one of your favorites, or would you would you rank it fairly high? I would definitely rank it fairly high. I, I, I would put it... Um, I mean, maybe number one. I, I don't... I, I would have to... Yeah, I'd have to really go through them uh, again, I guess. But um, uh, uh, every, uh, everything that uh, I, I think that if there's a, a connective tissue, if there's something that I can say uh, links Robin Williams' performance together, is if there's a, like a common aspect, I think it's that he's really good at playing characters who use um, humor or who use uh, fantasy or flights from reality to kind of escape from whatever darkness is at their core. And I think this is the best possible, like, uh, example of that in one role is just somebody, you know, who 
has suffered from trauma and tragedy but you know fights it in his way and you know succumbs to it on some days but triumphs over it another day you know i think this is like the you know this is the peak of what that is with robin williams you know, it, it kind of seems like a pretty good match for Gilliam, too, because if you think about Gilliam in the kind of movies he liked to make, he always made movies about people kind of escaping from reality or who lived in these just dark, seedy kind of worlds and would find ways to break free and escape. Like, you know, like one of the of, uh, of Terry Gilliam's passion projects has always been that Don Quixote movie. Right. And sometimes right. I wonder, like, does he need to make that if since he made The Fisher King? Because I kind of feel like that is, in a way, the story of Don Quixote in a different kind of packaging. And I don't know if you could ever make a movie today that is as meaningful um, as The Fisher King. I mean, I don't, I'm not ex- entirely sure the direction he's wanted to take Don Quixote, but I feel like he's already kind of told that story throughout other films that he's made. And this one, is, I feel like, is the strongest in that and uh, talking about that specific theme. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that if that's kind of like a pet, um, you know, focus for him in in his movies then i think that this is probably like uh you know it just like how that was robin williams uh, the best example of that i think this is yeah this is probably the best like rendering of that uh you know theme definitely uh is there any moments in particular that you really enjoyed sitting down to watch this or just really like oh that's just that's really something that really stick out to you i love uh uh robin williams and um Amanda Plummer, uh, really, there that uh, entire kind of courtship and and all that, but uh, just when they're first actually kind of meeting and, and just sort of the, I, I, I don't know, it's like two magnets that are being put together, <laughs> like, but but it, it's done in a way that uh, it, it's not cloying, you know. I think both of them, uh, she's really good in this. I think. Um, and I, you know, I, I just love these kind of two kind of misfits that are, are uh, have this connection and they're, and they're trying to, they don't quite know what to do with that. Um, so I really like that, all, all that stuff. Um, and especially when he says goodbye to her uh, that night and then, you know, the, the night comes and uh, he says something to the effect of, you know, please let me have this. Don't, t-, you know, like I that i thought was that really just knocked me over you know that's something that uh, yeah it's that is really incredible um oh no that's a great moment i you know i i I enjoy yeah those kind of scenes i also enjoy the quirky stuff like in the video store and how many stuff they (laughs) knock over between the two of them it's almost ridiculous how clumsy they make the character but it makes it more endearing (laughs) and then another great scene of course between them is the uh was the uh, the train station uh, the dancing sequence? That's oh, of course, like the ballroom dancing. It's one of my favorite Gilliam scenes. You know, it's probably up there. Yeah, uh, it's just a beautiful uh, moment uh, in a in a movie surrounded by so many dark moments. But you know, like I was saying earlier, Gilliam manages to find the beauty in like <laughs> in the darkest alleyways. You know, or, or in <laughs> Or in like insane asylums, which seem to be in almost all of his movies. <laughs> sure, yeah, and and you know that like that little moment of like fantasy, like intruding upon reality, you know, with everybody dancing and you know Tom Waits in the cor- corner, you know, it's it's all 
it, it's um, it's very Gilliam, and and it's it really just I I, I love that in this movie. Um, I think the movie actually really works if you look at it as something that's kind of it knows that it's. Uh, you know, it, it's high. It, it's fantastic in, in the sense that it's like uh, uh, that, that fantasy is such an important part of the movie. And, you know, it, I, I, I remember seeing it for the first time and, and really liking it, but thinking, uh, you know, maybe that was a little over the top. But I, I think watching it now, I actually kind of it, it, it just it, it coheres a little bit more those those elements because I think that it, it just makes sense given what the movie's focus is those little moments. Watching it again, is there anything in the film you think uh, needed improvement or just you didn't like? Like, I mean, I think overall it sounds like we both agree that it's a pretty good movie, but I wonder if there's anything that stood out to you at all. Uh, you know, there's. I guess in a sense there there's uh, I don't know how to pronounce his uh, his last name but uh, I'm gonna try uh, Richard Lagravenis 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 ah sounds like a sauce you put on something oh can I get some Lagravenis sauce (laughs) it sounds fancy hollandaise (laughs) Lagravenis Lagravenis yeah I um you know I I think there there's elements of the script that I that I like um. But at the same time, that it it, it kind of seems like one of those uh, screenplays where it's like, oh well, I'll take uh, these elements of kind of Grail mythology, and uh, you know, it, it, there there are parts of it that just seemed like uh, when I I feel like the movie kind of uh, slows down a bit when uh, he Perry goes into his coma, and then it's about Jeff Bridges uh, trying to get the Grail, which I, I think makes sense. But it, it just seemed like okay, well, yeah, that's where the story goes now, and I, I just the I, I don't know. I guess I, I kind of felt uh, more involved in in Perry's story, I, I suppose. And uh, but um, so yeah, there's that, and also I guess um, even though I, I do like that, uh, there are that you know the i don't know elemental uh pain of depression and the sociological uh, or the social um you know problem of homelessness and then just the you know elemental like terror of of you know uh death they're all kind of intertwined there are like i feel like there's times when like homelessness is kind of used as maybe like a prop or a crutch not not entirely that bad because i i do think that it, it's treated better than a lot of movies do but uh it, it sometimes it's a little uh i don't know yeah it felt a little uh iffy but um but yeah those are some things i kind of still feel about it yeah i mean in terms of of the homeless uh, homelessness portrayed what do you think of the character that michael jeter plays uh which one He's the small man that sings <laughs> with the mustache. Okay, okay, I love that. Though. He's the small man that sings. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, his I, name. I'm looking up his name in the cast list. He gets homeless cabaret singer. So homeless cabaret singer. Okay. I'm not that far off. <laughs> yeah. No. No. I, I. Yeah. I just love that. That. That is such an accurate. Uh, yeah. I. I mean, that's kind of what I'm talking about. 
like yeah which i i don't think that there you know that that's malicious intent on the part of terry gilliam of course but i i yeah i don't know it's something to be seems like a cheap laugh sure yeah in some effect he's so over the top i mean he has his moments but he's just cartoonish almost you know yeah yeah. there's so many other things in the movie that are tragic and then yeah you get some of these homeless people that are like cartoon characters and right they have their moments but i'd say that's definitely something they could have toned down a little bit on yeah i I think so or or just i don't know maybe take another pass at the screenplay maybe you'd uh, (laughs) enriched those parts a little bit more but i don't know you know in terms of room for improvement i i touched on the ending i thought seemed a little tightly wrapped Uh, did you feel that way or did you were you fine with it you know it's one of those things where i i do feel like the loose ends are kind of like oh there you go and and it's you know uh it feels like they're they just need to get to the ending and have a happy one but then when you see like the fireworks uh go into the sky and spill the end I feel like that's kind of like it, it, it's aware of it in a way like maybe Gilliam's uh, you know kind of winking at that or saying okay well yes this is a gratuitously happy ending but you know it's it that's the ending that this story needed to have or you know something like that and uh, you know it's it's a tricky one because like you said it is like it is comforting <laughs> to see those characters okay you know yeah for sure and and i you know i think obviously perry deserves to be happy but um but yeah you know if i'm being honest i'm not sure how i feel about it because i remember seeing that for the first time and and feeling like uh i'm not sure about that ending but then feeling like uh but i'm glad that (laughs) they're okay (laughs) you know oh yeah you know me me especially like i hadn't you know i hadn't seen the end of the movie i didn't know how it ended so you know i'm watching it i'm not really keeping track of how much time has passed and there's the scene where Robin Williams really freaks out. He's in the uh, Jeff Bridges suit, and he's running from the Red Knight. And then he gets assaulted by those two uh, goons, and they start like going at him with knives. Yeah. And I'm like, "Is this where it ends? Is they're gonna end it on the <laughs> absolute darkest ending they could possibly have?" Yes. <laughs> and on one hand, I'm like, "That was that's so bold," but I'm like, "That's so sad." <laughs> but then you know, it kept yeah. going, of course. And then it had such a happier ending. And yeah. I'm thinking, God, you know, if only they could have found somewhere between those, like, where I thought it was going to be the most tragic movie ever, and then where yeah. it was, like, the happiest movie ever, if they could have found that middle, yeah, like, that would have been so perfect. But, I mean, the ending's fine. I mean, it's 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 the happy ending. It's, that doesn't necessarily make it the best ending, but it, at least it makes you feel good. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just... You know, you, you, you try to look for things that you could improve upon, and that's the, probably one of the main things that I would improve upon. Sure, sure. And, you know, I don't know. Richard Legrave Venise, <laughs> if you look <laughs> okay. at his filmography, he hasn't really done a lot of other movies that are even, I feel like, close to this good. I mean, maybe the closest, at least that I am familiar with, is The Ref, which was oh, a yeah. very funny movie that he did with Ted Demi. Yeah, but yeah, a lot yeah. of these other movies, I mean, maybe some of them are okay, but, like, I mean, he, he wrote Behind the Candelabra. I liked that movie, but, like... He also did like beautiful creatures and water for elephants, and he's kind of been all over the place. It, I yeah. feel like the Fisher King really stands out among those films. Sure, it's yeah. kind of interesting that one. I wonder if it was like a like a passion project. So I'm looking at this guy. He's from Brooklyn, and this is a movie set, you know, in New York. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe it was like maybe it was something very close to him. I don't know. I mean, yeah. sometimes <laughs> this is all me just all me assuming things, but sometimes <laughs> writers only have really like that one really great idea in them. 
and then a lot of other ones are just lesser versions of that. But I don't know. I mean, it's I mean, interesting it, that a film like that came from this guy. Yeah, I mean, who knows? You know, it, it's with screenwriters especially, it's always hard to get a, uh, a gauge on, on uh, you know, what, what their voice is because so many times a script is so different from what it ends up being on the screen. And, you know, it, it's just such a, a hard thing to really judge. But, you know, it, I think it definitely does stand out. Um is uh in his work and uh i don't know i I think it's a good screenplay despite you know those problems i think that it does a good job of kind of incorporating all these uh these elements together in a way that doesn't just seem like a a total mess of a movie which it very much could have been like think of all the ways this movie could have gone you know like uh i I think he he, it's a it's a good story and and it's uh it's good well told so yeah yeah. I don't know though. I mean, I'll, I guess I'll have to check out other Richard Legravenese like scripts. Like maybe maybe his version of Bridges of Madison County <laughs> is like totally messed up. Like yeah. it's got like a magical bridge it turns into a monster. <laughs> yeah. But Eastwood g- gets in his Don Quixote armor <laughs> and gets his you know starts jousting against the uh, the, the bridge. See that was, that Terry Gilliam should have directed Bridges of Madison <laughs> County. That would have been <laughs> finally we can get that story. <laughs> Yeah. Alas, yeah, someday. To be. <laughs> Gosh, you know it's sure's a shame though that I'm going off for a little bit that uh, Terry Gilliam hasn't been able to put together that Don Quixote film. I'm always hearing things about it though. I always right. wonder if when he he makes that if that will uh, if that will really be as great as he, you know, is it? It's always kind of sounded like, will that dethrone Fisher King in in terms of that kind of story? But I don't know. Uh, I mean, uh, he's had an interesting career. Yeah, I mean, I, I think things have just gone so wrong so many times. Like, like it, it wasn't it like it, oh in two thousand nine or whatever. Like oh, it's gonna happen. This it, it's you know coming out. But then like, uh, John, was it Johnny Depp who was who 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 backed out? He I, did back out at some point. Yeah, back, yeah, and, and then. I don't know. Just it always kept, it just kept falling apart. I think at this point he should just make a movie about uh, a director trying to make Don Quixote. I, I think he should just make a movie. I don't know. Maybe he should just do like his Kaufman version of it all. I don't know. I'd say that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every time I look at that movie, you know, it seems like it has a different person in the lead. Last <laughs> yeah. time I checked, it had John Hurt starring. It sounds great, but you know, right, right? It's interesting because before that it was Robert Duvall. You know, I wouldn't normally think yeah. of Robert Duvall and John Hurt going up for the same part. Can you imagine yeah. if John Hurt had been a Jack Reacher? <laughs> it would have been amazing. It, no. Now here's how you use a rifle. <laughs> I no, I would see the shit out of. I, I would. You know what? How about just have them both in there? Robert Duvall and John Hurt both work at the same store, and they both help Jack Reacher. That would have. It'd have just been like a like mini Expendables. That's it within the movie. <laughs> Backdoor Expendables uh, spinoff for Robert Duvall. And... Well, it'll always live on in my fan fiction. Yeah, <laughs> Reacher fan fiction. But enough about Jack Reacher. Fisher <laughs> King sounds like we both like it. Uh, check it out. It's on Netflix. It's a great movie. One of Rob Williams' best performances. Moving on, um, we'd like to do a segment called John and Michael recommend. Now, of course, going in with the theme of this uh, episode, I guess the theme being Rob Williams, if that if a person could be a theme. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going with uh, Robin Williams movies, both ones that are available on streaming and 
just just ones that we feel like uh, maybe people haven't seen but should definitely check out. Uh, I guess I'll start. Uh, one of the films I watched uh, in the just about a week ago was uh, Birdcage with Robin Williams. Uh, Mike Nichols script from Elaine May. The or they were an old comedy duo back in the '60s, so it's nice to see them work on a, a comedy movie together. And in that respect, I feel like Birdcage does have kind of an old school feel to it. Uh, in terms of its comedy, very old school feel. I know it's also uh, based on the uh, the, the foreign film. I, I can never remember how to say it. Can you? Do you know how to say it? I know. <laughs> I've never met. I, I couldn't say like, Richard like, Lagrange. I don't know. I've never <laughs> met anyone who could say it. That's right. But a, a foreign film, and I, I I'm not sure if that was based off a stage play. This this movie definitely has a, a play feel to it, mm-hmm. which is another thing I appreciate appreciate about it. That's kind of minimal to this one location. And then what I, another thing I think is interesting about it is uh, Robin Williams there's a, th- th- this is a movie with a very very like over the top flamboyant character and it's not Robin Williams like he's playing the straight man <laughs> yeah yeah like that's interesting to to see him show that kind of restraint cuz i've seen like Robin Williams on stage when he's on stage with like another person like i mean he's a great bless him but he'll like step over everyone's lines and try <laughs> to steal the show so it's kind of nice to see him be able to take on that other persona the straight character and interact with Nathan Lane and it's it's a great dynamic. It's very funny. And I, I was worried the movie wouldn't hold up for some reason, being kind of like, I don't know, just the time period it came out, the late 90s. For some reason, I thought it would be kind of cheesy or something. But I don't know. It was, it was still really funny. Uh, I, and yeah, I'd, I'd recommend that one, definitely. What about you in, in terms of uh, streaming? Uh, on streaming, uh, I think uh, World's Greatest Dad is... is uh, not only a, a great uh, uh, movie, but uh, really, I think for Robin Williams, uh, if there's a role that uh, if there's a role that shows like how even late into his career that he was still just doing things that were adventurous and choosing roles that you know weren't just the easy like oh yeah here's my paycheck no like this is a great example of him kind of just be just doing a very interesting character and and really bringing a lot to it. Um, it's a Bobcat Goldthwait movie, so I think uh, right there that should kind of <laughs> tell you a lot about it. And it, it takes this very like dark, but very but very darkly humorous uh, idea for uh, a story, and uh, I, but it does it in a, in a way that's like uh, alternates between being uh, kind of funny and and unnerving, but also moving and touching. And uh, Robin Williams is just. Uh, it's another example of a movie that he, there's no other actor that could have done it at, quite as well and it, who just really uh, uh, brings something really special to it and really kind of anchors it. So um, definitely highly recommend that one. You know, it's funny. So many people still think of Robert Williams as kind of a uh, like a, a family entertainer, and then you see him in a movie like that, and you see that even like, yeah, like you're saying, in his, in his older age, he's still taking kind of challenging or just dark roles and kind of stirring the pot. And I think I, I agree. I love that, that movie as well. Um, in terms of movies that aren't on streaming, but that we just enjoy, uh, I know one that I came back to that is kind of, I don't know if people would consider it one of his lesser films, but I've always been a big fan. And that's uh, Penny Marshall's Awakenings. Ah. Um, not a lot of people I've talked to have seen it. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a great movie. It's uh, 
1990, uh, Robert De Niro and Robin Williams. Uh, I think the script is by Stephen Zalian, who adapted the uh, the story, which is true from the book of the same name by uh, neurologist Oliver Sacks. And it's a it's about a bunch of people that get this uh, have that have had this sleeping sickness and been stuck in it for so long, and then he helps awaken them and kind of connect with them. And watching that, like that's an, it's another movie where Robin Williams. You know, I was probably talking about this at the beginning of the podcast is so just dialed down, like not jokey, but still very likable, very sensitive. And it's great to see him, you know, uh, share the stage with Robert De Niro and just kind of see them be friends and play off, e- play off each other. It's just very, uh, uh, it's a, it's a tearjerker. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great film. And, uh, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't know a lot of people have seen it. So I, I definitely recommend that one. Uh, check it out. It's just an interesting, like story in general, like, May, you know, it could probably could have started anybody, but Robin Williams certainly does it does it a great service uh, with his uh, performance, and and I enjoy it a lot. What about what about you, Michael? Is there another movie you'd like to recommend? It's probably a, a fairly obvious one, but I think Good Morning Vietnam is, is you know that that's pretty much essential viewing for uh, Robin Williams because uh, I I think if there's another example of a, of um, yeah. What am I trying to say? I think it's it's another good example of uh, Robin Williams, uh, th- that kind of character where he, he, somebody who uses humor uh, as a means of kind of combating the dark. Uh, you know, I, I think it's just a, a really wonderful performance that uh, makes great use of his improv ability and his just, you know... Um, unending uh energy I, I think it's just like mork and mindy uh, it was written with uh you know robin improvises here as his dialogue basically so yeah i mean if you're a fan of aladdin that's basically like watching the genie <laughs> character live action genie I mean, in vietnam he's so fast he's doing the genie in vietnam there's another good fan script <laughs> and there's a part where genie meets up with jack reacher <laughs> yes finally that movie but made. no, I I love Good Morning Vietnam. One of my favorite things about that movie is uh, is watching Robin Williams be so manic and then play off these very kind of uh, straight laced uh, characters. You know, like uh, uh, was it Bruno Kirby? Yeah, Stephen. Like, uh, yeah, they have a, a just him playing off all these squares is just so much fun to watch. And that that movie, I think, is an, is another one of those those uh, few Robin Williams movies that does a great job of capturing both his comedy and then both him switching on a dial to something more tragic because there is some unexpected kind of tragic moments in that movie. Uh, but I agree. I'm a big fan of Good Morning Vietnam. Keep checking out this podcast on iTunes and on the Mildly Please website. Uh, I think we've we've put together a Tumblr. I don't know if there's anything on there yet. We're working Michael, on it. We're working on it. But <laughs> yeah. we're, we're making an effort. And, uh, and um, you know, we got some, we got some stuff stuff in the woodwork that should be interesting our uh, our next episode uh hopefully will be our next episode uh, we talked about it in the previous episode was uh we were going to do a power rangers vr troopers uh beetleborgs compare contrast so that should be good there'll be plenty of uh, surprises there um already watching some of it it's definitely <laughs> there's some interesting shows <laughs> i think yeah. that'll be an interesting episode um, hopefully a little more uh, uplifting than, than, you know, kind of talking about something tragic that happened. But, uh, you know, stick with us and keep listening and uh, yeah, have a good time. I 
Gershwin too. How about you? 